Welcome to the Life & Law Podcast. I'm Heather Mulder, former AmLaw 100 partner turned lawyer coach who, just five years into my legal career, found myself teetering on the edge of burnout. But I was determined not to become yet another lawyer burnout statistic. And so I redefined success on my own terms, enabling me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I now help purpose-driven lawyers confidently retake control of their careers and create their next level of success and impact. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Hey there, this is Heather Mulder with the Life in Law Podcast, and I'm so happy that you've joined me today. So today we are getting into partner compensation reviews, how to prepare for them, and also some long-term strategy concerns that I want you to start thinking about that may not be able to help you fully for this year's partner compensation review, but will definitely help you moving forward in preparing for next year and being more strategic throughout the next year, okay? So obviously, today's topic is a little more narrow. We are talking specifically about an issue that comes up with partners and shareholders only, maybe some of counsel as well. So if you are preparing for or getting ready to prepare for your compensation review, this is for you. If you are not yet in that boat and a compensation review is not really what you're having, which basically means you're not in charge of a book of business, you don't have to go over those numbers, at least not so specifically, then I would say go back and listen to episode number 32, if you have not yet. That episode deals with preparing for annual reviews in general. And it is really applicable to any associate, many of counsels, anybody in-house. It also is applicable to partners as well, because there are other things that we have to be prepared for. And it is a really great outline for how to generally prepare for your review. So even if you are a partner listening to this, you're going to want to go back and listen to that as well. It stands. That being said, in that particular episode, we didn't go over some of the nuances that come up when we're talking about a partner compensation review. When we're talking about, you know, just of a, I used to like to call this meeting the justify your existence meeting, where you're talking about, you know, what you build and what you actually collected and what your originations were and what you should be getting credit for in respect of the book of business that you actually have. So that is what we are specifically getting into today. So before I get started, I've got a couple of things for you. If you do not already have the client development blueprint, be sure that you download it. It is my step-by-step framework for how to build a book of business with more ease in a way that aligns with your values, leverages your strengths, and helps make things super simple so that you can be consistent with it and sustainably grow your practice over the long term. And if you are specifically looking to grow your business, and especially on your terms, right, without getting so stressed or overwhelmed, then I also invite you to check out Elevate, my attorney business building mastermind. I am currently still taking applications at the time of this recording. Hopefully, there will still be an opening left when you hear this, 
But in all honesty, even if there isn't, you can reach out to me. I am always looking for people. And as soon as I get enough folks, I four to six is a good number, I get started with a new mastermind. So this is basically a group program to help you grow the practice you want without stress or overwhelm, but in fact, by having fun. Okay. And yes, business building can be fun. So let's get into how to prepare for your compensation review and also how to be more prepared in the future. Because as with any review, there are things that you can and should think about throughout the course of the year that are going to help you be better prepared when the next review comes. So some of these things you might think, oh my God, it's too late, but it's really not because this is a long haul game, y'all. You're not going to be partner for just a brief period of time, hopefully, you're going to be in it for a while for the long haul. And so this is going to help you moving forward as well. So there are some overall strategy considerations that you want to start with, right? Every firm is different. The culture is different and the compensation system is somewhat different because the culture impacts your compensation system, right? And both your culture and the compensation system that you are under has an impact on how to prepare for your review. So you want to start there. Ask yourself, what is your compensation system? Like, how do you get paid? Is it based on originations? Is it based on originations actually collected? Is it based on and who gets those originations? How are originations shared amongst people? Um, is it based on what you bill? Is it based on what your team bills? Like, what is it? What are the numbers they're actually looking at? And then also what else, right? Oftentimes they ask you to be a member of a committee or to do something extra. There's more to it than just doing your work and billing, right? Um, there is, all of this is somewhat formalized and you should have written procedures or written requirements somewhere. So make sure you truly understand what those are. But in all honesty, it's also informal. There are also unwritten rules. So be sure that you understand what those unwritten rules are. Start with the written, the obvious, but what are the unwritten? You know, what? how big are your originations, your true originations supposed to be at this point in your career? What are they wanting? And be sure to remember what was expected last year? And what did they tell me they wanted out of me over the course of this year? Be prepared for all of that. Something to note that I just want you to think about, because one of the things I find with a lot of lawyers when they're really unhappy revolves more around the compensation system than they realize. And it's not just about how you get paid. A lot of people think, well, if I'm just paid more, I'll be happy. But that's not really true, okay? So the compensation system that you are under within your firm has a direct impact on firm culture. I said this before, I'm saying it again, and I'm going to get more specific about what I mean here. So when you're unhappy, it's often not so much about how much you're getting paid. Yes, that's part of it, but it's bigger than that. It's culture-based, right? So are you under an open compensation system versus a closed one? There are pros and cons to each, and there is no right or wrong. It very much depends on your values and needs as to what the best fit is for you 
because it definitely creates a different culture. Be aware that the culture you're in affects your well-being. And much of that culture is, as I've said, a result of your compensation system. So for example, the first firm I had was a very open compensation system. I remember as an associate watching the partners print these long lists out every single year in December. And they would compare themselves to other people. What, what were other people billing and collecting? What were their originations? You know, what were all those numbers? And then they would see what they were making. I mean, all of it was right there for everybody to see. And it was some of these people actually took it upon themselves to say, okay, this, this gives me information. This helps me. I can go ask questions in my review. I can figure out what they need to see from me because I see similar numbers here, but I don't, you know, of what we're bringing in, but they're making more. So there's something going on. That is a healthy way of looking at it. And those people thrived. There were others who got very angry over what they saw made assumptions, never talked about it, never asked questions. It was a very unhealthy environment for them. And so that's what I'm talking about, right? You may be in the wrong place based on the compensation system and the culture that is created from it. The firm I went to after that, that was not what I wanted, FYI. That was not me. I didn't want to like have everybody know what I was making and what I was bringing in. I just wanted to grow a book of business but I felt like I was fairly compensated for without worrying what everybody else was doing. That's what the healthiest place for me was. And it was one of the reasons I left my first firm and went to the firm I went to because my second firm was closed. You had no idea what people brought in. You had no idea what they made. And there are pros and cons to that. There were some people who hated that because they felt like it might not be fair. And for me, it was great. I could thrive in it because I didn't have to worry about what everybody else was doing. And it took away some of that comparison that I would be prone to if I were in an open system. So it, it worked out for me because I was judging myself against myself, against the metrics that I set up for myself, that the powers that be told me they wanted me to meet. And I made very clear, you know, here's, here's what I want. How do I get that? And it, it provided a very healthy conversation around my compensation. So again, there are there is no right or wrong. You need to figure out what the best one is for you. So if you're super unhappy, it might be a result of that. And you need to start thinking very realistically about what's best for you. And if you're looking elsewhere, this is definitely something to keep in mind. Because if you're jumping from one to another, if it's the same – it may not make as big of a difference as you think because it could be the compensation system that's culturally not a fit for you. Okay, so when thinking, that's just something that you need to think about more generally and strategically for your own health <laughs> and wellness. So when you're thinking about your compensation review, you want to know who are the real decision makers, okay? There are people that you might be meeting with that aren't actually making the decisions. Know who the real decision makers are. It is incredibly important to have an actual relationship with those people and to have a real good relationship with those people. Now, having a relationship does not necessarily mean you need to be best friends with them. It does not mean you meet out, you reach out to them weekly or even monthly. But they need to know who you are and they need to have a good uh, vibe about you, a good opinion, okay? 
So be honest and realistic about who are those people, what is your relationship with them, and how strong is it? This is wholly up to you, 100%. It is not up to other people. It is up to you to ensure you have the relationship you want. And in all honesty, sometimes depending on the structure of the firm, you may not be able to build as strong a relationship as you really want with the true decision makers. So again, the firm I last was at, the we had meetings with people that were like our regional kind of leaders. We didn't meet with the kind of the top person who was ultimately making the final decision. Now, the people we met with had a say. They proposed things, but they were not the final decision makers, and sometimes they got overruled. And so it was important for that final person to know who I was, what I contributed, and so I did not have a close relationship with that person. But he did know who I was, and he did have a good opinion. And I made sure of that. But he was not somebody I could just be real close to. Like, the man was too busy, right? It it wasn't possible. It still worked for me. And I made sure that it worked. And I made sure that I made a good name for myself. And it got to him. And that that was enough for what I needed and wanted. You need to think about that as well. Because sometimes it's just not possible within the structure of your firm and the size of your firm, and it's not going to be enough for you. So that is yet another thing to think about when you're thinking about your firm culture and whether you're at the right fit. And also, if you're looking for another fit, these are the things to think about, okay? All right, so you thought about your firm kind of compensation structure. You thought about who the decision makers are. You want to know, you know, what kind of relationship you have with those people and make sure it's a decent relationship and they have, you know, good opinions of you. You want to understand what's most important, okay? Before you ever even prepare for your review or you go into your review, you need to understand what do they really care about? Is it only originations? Is it a combo of what you build plus what you originated? Does non-billable work come into play? And if so, how much? And does it make a difference based on the type of non-billable, right? Now, please note and be realistic about this. At the end of the day, the numbers, like the actual monetary amount that you help bring in is by far the most important number. This is a business, y'all. The number of people I see, even partners, that get really caught up with all of the non-billable stuff they do and wanting to get massive credit for it is interesting to me. It is a business. You need to bring in money. Now, it somewhat depends on the role you play, right? Um, Sometimes a managing shareholder of an office has an expectation to still bill and collect a certain amount. And some firms, they don't. Because they are compensated for that role and they're actually not expected to do as much. It very much depends, again, on your firm, the culture there, the requirements, and the expectations. So know what they are and be very realistic about them. And if you realize, I haven't been, that's okay. You're getting realistic. You can do something about this moving forward, okay? So the numbers are the most important ones, but it's important to know which ones and how much. What truly makes a difference? When you're preparing 
the number one thing you're going to look at are the numbers. This is a compensation review and a lot of your most of your compensation is going to be based on the numbers. The number one number would be your originations. What you actually brought into the door. When I talk about originations, I'm not just talking about what you charged that hasn't come in yet or that never came in. What are the actual revenues that were collected? The real numbers. Now, it is also important to understand how originations are assigned within your firm. Are they shared? Does your firm um, split them up from the get-go, right? How do they get assigned? So again, the first firm that was an open compensation system that I was a part of, people had to agree when they opened new matters who was going to be an originator. You could have more than one, but if there was more than one, they had to agree as to the percentage that was going to each person. So sometimes you had five people that went out and pitched a client and all five got origination credit. And those folks would argue over who got what. Every time a new matter was open, they would go over that. So is it done that way? In which case, it's a pain at the front end, but it's more clear what your numbers really are? Or do a bunch of people just get on there and you get to argue for it later on? Okay, that was my second firm. And that one wasn't always as fair, in all honesty, because people had a habit of just putting themselves on stuff that they probably didn't deserve. And it's very hard for who I call the powers that be to know really, truly who's who deserves this. Now, over time, that become that can become more obvious. So, for example, early in my career, uh, well, early in my partnership, In 2009, I was introduced to um, an entity that needed work done in Dallas, needed some lending work done in Dallas. And we were hired to be their third firm. They already had two firms working for them, but they knew they needed another one just in case of conflicts, et cetera. And somebody in one of my other offices recommended, um, recommended me and someone else in our office. And it really ended up just being me. And I met with them. We got the work. We got started. Well, that person introduced me to this client, and so they got to go on as an originator. Now, over the course of the next two years, I grew this client into my biggest client. And they went. we went from being the number three firm to their number one law firm. And that was done because of me, my work, what I did for them, how I sold them. And so this person who introduced me always deserved to be an originator on there. The work would never have gone to me but for that person. That being said, I deserved a bigger share of it over time. And that was actually a very difficult case to make for a while. But as time went on and I grew the business, I was the responsible attorney. I was the billing attorney. I was the attorney that worked on every single one and doled out work to others. And this other person who was listed as an originator never worked on these matters. And so over time, I was able to make the case that this was more mine than theirs, but they still should get credit because they were the person who introduced me. I always made sure to make that clear. So you need to understand where where this goes, right? How do they differentiate? You need to be able to make an argument for yourself in that respect. And how originations get assigned at the get-go makes a difference as to how you make your argument. The other thing that you want to be careful of when you think about these things 
is when you're considering if you have a shared origination system like I did in my second firm, you want to be really careful (laughs) about how you make your case. So who is this other person that makes a claim that's on there? Who are they? What's their reputation? How senior are they? Right? You do not want to cross the wrong people. And so you have to be careful of that. And I know lawyers hate the politics, but the fact of the matter is it is a very political thing. Making a case for yourself becomes political, and you have to be careful how you do it. And this is the case anywhere you are, whether you're in-house or in a firm, and no matter how big or small your firm is, if there are people there, it's going they're going to have politics because people do that, okay? So get over it. The thing I would say is if, if it's divvied up in that way and you realize that you're not getting the credit you deserve, you want to start making your case carefully in a politically sensitive manner, and then you want to pay attention moving forward to how to continually make your case and make it stronger. That is something I had to deal with, obviously, after I got that origination from, um, from that recommendation. As I started to grow that business and realized, well, wait a second, it's not going to be fair if they get 50-50 credit on this forever as I'm the one doing all the work and growing the business. So I really paid attention to the wins, to the new business brought in, to the conversations, and I made light of them in a very nice manner in my meetings to let them know, hey, this really is mine and you should be giving me credit for this. The other thing I would say is if, if it's divvied up at the outset and over time it's changed, say you have a 25% assigned to you, but it's really become 50 or 75 you, you need to work on how to change that moving forward. And yes, that's politically sensitive. And no, that's, that's, hard. that's not easy. It's hard. But if you want to get paid appropriately, you're going to need to do that hard work to get the changes made. So this is going to tell you where you need to pay attention, make your argument, make your case, and then what you want to do moving forward in the year ahead to make an even better case for yourself. Okay, so that's originations. The other thing is responsible and or billing attorney numbers. I know different firms do this differently. The firm I was a partner in, there was an origination attorney, a responsible attorney, and a billing attorney. And I never 100% understood the differentiation between responsible and billing because usually it was the same. But depending on how your firm um, divvies that up, you want to pay attention to what those are and what they mean. And for me, it never mattered because I was both. And so it just didn't matter for my matters and my my clients. So you want to make sure that you were in charge of the things that you think you were and that you get credit for the things that you are in charge of, right? So maybe you aren't the only originating attorney or you aren't even originating attorney on something, but you are the responsible and billing attorney and you actually are the one who did the work. You want to highlight that stuff and let people know the part you played, okay? Something to note, write-offs matter. So you need to pay attention to them. If you are consistently, as a billing attorney, charging high amounts but writing a chunk off, you need to pay attention to what's going on. Perhaps you need to change how you bill maybe you're writing off somebody in particular who's just not up to snuff, right? You need to pay attention to where those write-offs are coming from and why so that you can adequately explain it and come up with a strategy so that you can lessen the write-offs 
moving forward. And there are lots of ways to deal with it. It very much depends on why you're writing off time. So for me, I didn't do write-offs hardly ever unless there was a complaint. And I don't, I didn't get it very often. Occasionally I would, and I would listen, and I would go back, and I would talk to the attorneys who were involved, and we would come up with a solution that made the client happy, but fully discussing what was going on. And then if the write-off was big enough, I was prepared to discuss it in my compensation review. I know a lot of people who just charge high rates and just regularly write off work because the rates are so high. I don't personally recommend that. (laughs) What I used to do is um, I would charge the rate that I knew I could get based on the work. So my ABL work was usually not as high of a rate because the market didn't uh, support that as my securitization work did. And so different, I had a general firm rate, but I also had different rates for different clients. And I did that very specifically so that I didn't write money off. I knew what was going to come in based on the work that I was doing. And it really worked well for me. So pay attention to your write-offs. Pay attention to why. And have a real good, um, honest conversation with yourself and others about what to do with it moving forward. And be prepared to discuss it in the event it comes up in your review. So also look at... The billing and collections of those that you supervise. This is definitely coming into, this partly deals with the write-offs, but you also want to really look at your team, the people who work with and for you a lot, and see who's underperforming. Like who's not meeting their billables and why? Is there a real reason? Did they have something come up that forced them to not be able to work? right? So I have one client who had a surgery and it really lowered her billables, but it's there's a real reason for it and the rest of her year looks great. So you need to be prepared though for those conversations. You may not think this is fair, but if you're supervising somebody, if somebody is part of your team and they're consistently underperforming, it counts against you. That money comes out of your bottom line too. And questions are going to be, do you provide them with enough work? Are you not training them enough? You know, what part is them and what part is you? And if it's them, how are you dealing with it? How are you going to get them to move up? Or do you need to consider letting them go? These are not fun areas to consider, but they're they're reality. You need to look at them, pay attention to them, and be ready to discuss them. All right. You also want to talk about and highlight growth areas. So it could be the numbers themselves. Maybe a year or two ago, you established a new niche that you were trying to get into, and it's slowly but surely growing, and and this year shows real growth. You want to highlight that. Perhaps you see a new area of potential growth that you've just gained some new knowledge or skills in that you're starting to branch out into, and you haven't, the numbers don't show it yet, but you think they will next year. You can highlight that. Be sure that you come with a plan that relates to anything that's a growth area. Now, this is not likely to affect your current year, but it's a way to plant a seed for future years and to show your leadership ability. So I do highly recommend that you do this. The other thing I would say is be ready to discuss progress on your business plan for the year and to have a new one for the next year. So 
You want to be able to talk about what you want to accomplish and how, what strategies, what tactics, and to be realistic about it. But you also want to look backwards, right? You want to look at where was I a year ago? What did we say we want, you know, what did we agree that needed to be done? What was in my plan? What did I meet? What did I exceed? What did I not meet? Why? What did I learn from this year's results? And how am I going to use that that information moving forward? So I covered all of that already in episode, I think it was 32 again, on how to prepare for your annual review. Definitely go back and listen to that because all of this comes into play here, okay? You need a plan. You need to deal with the plan from this past year and you need to have a plan for the next year. Another thing to be prepared for is be prepared to highlight some wins, right? You want to make sure that your clients are satisfied. You want to show that you've collaborated with colleagues. You want to let them know where you added value to the firm. Do not be shy about this. You want to highlight your wins, your achievements, your successes, and the value that you bring. But please be real. Don't make things up. Don't try to make something into a big win that wasn't. You want to be realistic. And do not avoid failures. You want to show that you have the character to admit when things didn't go as you wanted and that you made mistakes. But you want to do it. And again, we talked about this in that previous episode, so go back and listen to it. But I just want to highlight that you want to do it in a way where it shows that you've learned something from it. And that you're going to be different moving forward. What did you learn? How are you using that? This doesn't just apply to people below you. Partners, you got to do this too. Show them that you've grown. Show them that you've included this in your future plans. Okay? So again, I recommend that you download the Client Development Blueprint. Anybody who doesn't have it should get it. It is a step-by-step process for how to grow your business with more ease, keeping things simple, really leaning into your strengths, and building a values-based business that's more fulfilling and, frankly, fun. If that sounds like something you're really interested in and you know you're ready to truly step up to that next level with your practice, do think about looking into the Elevate Attorney Business Building Mastermind. I will have a link in the show notes. It is your ticket to growing your business very strategically, but also growing the business you want, right? That's what the group is there for. That's what I'm there for, to help you determine what you want, to go after those goals, not let anything hold you back, to think more creatively, and to just get done what you want to get done very quickly. So if that is of interest to you, go check it out. And then finally, before I let you go, If you enjoyed this episode, you probably know somebody who needs to hear this as well. So I have a favor to ask. Please consider sharing this episode with someone that you know who might need to hear it. And if you haven't reviewed the podcast and you're enjoying it, I would love to hear from you. Be sure to give it a review and a rating. All right, that is it for this week. Bye for now. 
Thank you for listening to the Life and Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode and aren't yet a follower or subscriber, be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. For show notes and free resources to help you succeed in both life and law, including the Life and Law Roadmap, visit lifeandlawpodcast.com.